Hey everybody, welcome to the Uninformed Banker. My name is Gerald, and today we have Suraj, Suraj, correct? Suraj, yeah. Suraj. And he has a very, very interesting life story to tell you. He's not taken the normal path, and I found it very interesting. So, Suraj, how are you? I'm doing well, Gerald. How are you? Doing okay. It's a little hot here, but other than that. The weather's pretty good here. I had a flight lesson, though. It got canceled. Unfortunately, not. Uh, usually, it's because of clouds that we our flight lessons get canceled. But uh, today, it was just my instructor's child got sick. <laughs> so okay. Kind of so unusual. I'm, I'm going to stop you there because I knew you were into climbing. Yeah. Which I recently started dabbling in. But I did not know about the aviation. So you just blindsided me. <laughs> So now you're flying around. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I joke with my friends that I've got like at least 32 different hobbies and <laughs> I, sometimes I forget, <laughs> I, I lose track of them, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting my pilot's license right now. So I just finished my MBA. I have, I've got a little bit of time before I start working. And so I figured, you know, I want to use this time meaningfully. And initially the plan was I was going to go to Japan or Australia, spend some time there. I love culture and just like getting to know different places mm-hmm. and, you know, rather than spending 10 days in a place, if you can go spend two months, you can actually get to know the place. But obviously with the, uh, the flu that's going around (laughs) (laughs) this past year, I, uh, that got canceled. So I figured I'd, I'd just learn to fly and (laughs) we'll see. That way when they stop all flights, you can go, I got my own plane. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. All right. That that's awesome. So even more interesting than, okay. I was, I agree with you about traveling. I did want to travel because I was set to graduate the year, like my last semester was Corona semester. Mm-hmm. So that there went, I was looking at going to Australia for like a week with a buddy of mine, yeah. just to like see it. That's one place I've always wanted to go. I loved London when I went yeah. and you're right. I would love to spend like two months or something at a place that, you know, you get to know someone, you know, some of the locals and you actually get to see like the parts that, okay, this is Australia. And then there's the Australia that we don't show the tourists. That's really fun. Yeah. You know? Although yeah. everything wants to kill you there. So that's fair. I was going to say, I feel like once you get to a place and you're navigating without GPS, like that, that's a good feeling. That's when you're like, okay, I know this place, but uh, Australia, you might not want to wander too much. Yeah. <laughs> you might end up in the wrong spot. I've seen like pictures because I, I played rugby with a guy that ended up going out there and he sent me pictures of like fields just like apparently spiders blow in. I didn't know that was a thing, but they literally oh, yeah. blow in there. Like and, on the wind. Like they yeah. just get. Oh, wow. And then they like will cover like a field. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like that, that sounds like hell. You just it sounds made hell. up. <laughs> it literally sounds made up. I don't think you could even. Yeah. There's a, there's a meme way back. If you Google like drop bears, it's pretty funny. It was like mm-hmm. basically someone Photoshopped koalas. So they had like really sharp teeth and stuff. And it was just Ooh. like making fun of the animals in Australia. But yeah, it's a crazy place. Although I've heard like the vibe is super chill. So the reason I, the reason I'm super intrigued by Japan and Australia, Japan, I feel like it's just a very different place from the U.S., right? And just mm-hmm. completely, it's like a 180. The the everything there is just completely different. Um, and I'm also like very into technology and big cities, so Tokyo is very good for that. Like you mentioned, I love climbing and Japanese climbers. They are incredible. I don't know why or like what they're doing. Time out. But, I want to stop yeah. you there because climbers yeah. themselves, or at least some of them that I've seen, they're incredible because like I'm having trouble with like what they call a beginner. I'm like, all right, I got this. And then yeah. I see some guy that's like, he's got like his his fingers, like three fingers. And he's like, I'm just going to pull myself up with one hand. And Yeah. Yeah. So. Dude, at that point, see, the thing is like, I've noticed with the good climbers, like they don't grip anything. At that point, they're just using friction. <laughs> so that's literally all it is. 
Don't need hands. Uh, I just got friction. Yeah. But the U.S. Oh. champions, I think they're like three days on, two days off, or something like that. Like the U.S. team, like that's how they train. Oh. And from what I've heard, the Japanese team, it's like four days on, one day off, <laughs> they're back at it. It's like Jeez. really, really crazy. Um, so I think it would be go- cool to like go train for a couple of days there. You'd probably come back like a couple of grades higher. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah. I've also wanted to go to, um, I think it's Norway. I saw, so this was a documentary about, I, he's like a kid and one mm-hmm. of the best climbers in the world. I can't remember his name. He's in, either in like Norway or Iceland and he's like 15, like no ropes, just I'm going to climb this face. And I'm looking down <laughs> and going, I wouldn't do that with ropes. No. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Legit. Um, yeah, man. Kids are just crazy. And it's, it's weird because as new things like hang boards and just whatever new training devices have been invented, better knowledge around nutrition, like mm-hmm. the age that you have to start to become like oh, a world champion climber, it's just dropping steadily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. If you're not hanging with the adults by the time you're like nine, then you're not going to be a world champion or something. Like Exactly. That's- I was, I was in a gym in Kansas city and this guy literally had his baby like on his arm and he was just putting the baby's hands onto holds. And it's funny because babies can do two things, right? They can cry and they can grip. <laughs> this guy was like, well, it can grip. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, he's got a point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Got to give it to him. That baby's going to be a really good climber someday. <laughs> either that or he's going to hate it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's either one or the other. Total 360. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I love it. I'm the best. Or no, I will never climb. He's just going to be like the best, I don't know, flyer, aviation yeah. pilot. That's the word. <laughs> it's going to just completely 180. I guess if you can't climb your way to the skies, you can fly your way through. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to draw parallels. I'm trying to figure out why I have all these hobbies too, as we're speaking. But um, yeah, man, I think we've both taken non-traditional pads and, I just like to explore different things, right? You probably noticed like when, even if you just spend like 20 hours getting to know something, like you probably know what the word send. And like, as you just enter these different worlds, you start to understand new things and see things differently. Like if I were to get into a plane right now, I have a completely different vision around what's happening around me, why the plane is going up at a certain angle and all these different. And I haven't even gotten my license yet. Right. But it's just the fact that I've entered this um, Mm -hmm. just gives you new vision, new eyes. See, I like to like, just spend a little bit of time, like just getting kind of get my feet wet in something. And then the ADD kicks in and I'm like, Oh, what's over here. And I go (laughs) look at something new. So like, it's fun for me because I get, you know, I get like a sampling of everything. And, but I do, I will admit this. I never really get to the point where I'm like, all right, I'm a, I'm an expert and I'm okay with that because it's just, I, I do, there are a few things that I have taken into, like kept going with that I really enjoy. Um, investing is actually like a hobby of mine and I do that. Um, I actually do maple sugaring. Um, so that's a really so you, sick hobby. You produce uh, your own. Yep. Oh, wow. I used to live in Canada, so I have an appreciation. <laughs> we, I think last year was our 50th year and we go we walk out in the woods and drill holes in trees and spend a while watching it boil down it's a really yeah. messed up hobby but it is fun <laughs> so there's that there's investing um i started getting into climbing recently uh i've been honestly i've been focused on work for a while I, podcasting has been a new hobby of mine that i do enjoy uh it ended up being like i talk about investments or just market news or something all the time and literally my buddy would be like we're not talking about money today <laughs> and I'm like, oh, maybe I talk about it too much. Maybe I'll put it on the internet and then people can either decide to listen to it or not. And yeah. now people, now my friends go, oh, just go tell it on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Once you start podcasting, I think everything just turns into 
man, like I should have recorded this conversation. <laughs> it's the thing that happens. Do you find that you circle back to your hobbies a lot? I I feel like I have a different thing at the forefront always. And so, you know, right now climbing has kind of subsided, but piloting is up, but eventually that'll probably switch. Or do you find that you just continue moving to the next? I definitely have like, like the last couple of months have been really hard on podcasting just because it's like you get that inflow of information. Plus it's like that dopamine hit when you get like, Oh, someone watched it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got one subscriber. Nice. <laughs> Stuff like that. And so I know that's part of the reason why, but the other thing is I'm getting to talk to like interesting people like yourself. I, I got to talk to a friend I hadn't seen in over a decade mm-hmm. um, who like last time I saw him, he w- we were both at uh, UMass Lowell. And the next time I saw him, he's now directing like the F-35 program in England. That's and, John. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Really good to see him again. I was going to talk to someone. I didn't know that Miatas were a hobby like just the car miata um yeah he unfortunately had to cancel a, a previous professor of mine yeah. but like his hobby is like miatas like there's like groups it's like there's a it's like a cult car apparently and i'm like hmm. what did not know that that was a thing like you go oh my hobby's climbing i'm like yeah i know that's a thing yeah you go my hobby is miatas i go oh so you're, you're like cars no miatas <laughs> okay <laughs> i did not know that was a, like had a cult following and they break them up by like years and like oh this color's rare Hmm. and like yeah apparently they have like i don't know 60 people in our town in like one group but like they have international miata conventions wait there's 60 people in one town that are dedicated to wow okay yeah wait this thing is bigger than i thought (laughs) that's what i said they're like yeah we have national conventions i'm like Number one, that's got to be weird if you don't know it's there because you just drive by like a parking lot and there's thousands of Miatas. (laughs) What's going on there? And yeah, no, apparently it's like a big thing. Well, granted, uh, my town is a small city. uh, Not going to tell where in case like the three people that listen track (laughs) me down. Um, But yeah, in in Central Mass, it's a small city, but I couldn't believe there were that many people in in that small of an area. I thought it was going to be like, yeah, there's like five of us or something. No, yeah. they have to like rent out a building every winter and he had to cancel for uh, an unrelated reason and he just got too busy. And, but that's one thing that drew me to it was, and that's also why I chose the name because I'd talk a lot and then people would be like, are you sure you know what you're talking about? I'm like, no, sometimes I just watch it come out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and so I named myself the uninformed banker because I don't know what I'm doing. And um, I fell into banking by accident and ended up loving it and i just want to learn like i love the new thing that today the new thing next the next day that's why i I do little bits on the news because it's always new Mm. and so before i sidetrack you again because i I don't know how many times i've sidetracked you from one (laughs) sidetrack let's let's uh start with your story yeah so my family is of indian descent and i bring that up because I feel like a lot of my early childhood, we'll say, is kind of the typical South Asian immigrant story, right? Uh, I grew up in Canada and the U.S. and had moved around a lot. So, like, to give you some context, I was born in Saudi Arabia because my dad happened to be working there at the time. Don't remember it at all, but probably a few months in India, still don't quite remember that. But then Toronto, Detroit, Dallas, uh, Kansas City, I forget if I've mentioned that one in there, like... I moved a lot. I can <laughs> as, tell. <laughs> as a kid. Um, so I did high school and college in Wisconsin, though. That's when things started to kind of stabilize. But it's so weird to me because I speak to some of my high school friends. And, yeah, I've known that person since elementary school. 
and you know my like we didn't have facebook until like high school ish or you know that whole time so uh i don't i don't even know where the people that i went to elementary school with are living now but yeah so i moved around a lot and um i think like when i was younger i kind of did take a more typical path so it's funny that you mentioned that we both have atypical paths because i think if you had met me probably till the end of college i was pretty much in the uh med school like going the med school track very stable path biochem major took the MCAT, 150 plus hours of shadowing, including a few abroad. And I think a lot of people, when you talk to like immigrants, there's a stereotype of like, my parents are making this. And that was not the case for me, but I think it was more just that I never really paused, look at other things, right? You mentioned that you'd worked, I think in the, in the lumber business doing logging. Yeah. And when you're a kid, like no one really tells you that these types of things are out there, right? Everyone is like, like doctor, teacher, engineer there's like five jobs that you know yeah no one tells you you can be a consultant or a podcaster I mean, yeah. podcasting wasn't even a thing back then oh yeah yeah they're like i want to be an army an army soldier i want to be an astronaut a yeah. fighter pilot or a teacher a doctor a lawyer or like that yeah yeah <laughs> like all the standard stuff yeah um, but so as i was leaving uh undergrad i basically decided like hey i want to go try some other stuff my mcat score is good for a couple of years so when i left it wasn't like hey i'm done with medicine it was more like medicine's a 10-year path let me go try some other stuff see what happens you know uh so i worked in healthcare for a bit it was on the business side just an easy transition that was mm -hmm. kind of like the more boring phase of my life and then transitioned to nonprofits. so i worked with kids for a little bit kind of uh mm -hmm. first grade through sixth grade helping them get like access to free tutoring in Chicago. And mm -hmm. then I went to business school. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of giving you the back to back to show you the, the massive like transitions mm -hmm. in between. But post business school, I'm going into mergers and acquisitions consulting. So nice. I get a lot of shit from my friends like, hey, you were just working with kids, like helping them get access to education. Now you're going to doing this like corporate thing. But it's interesting work. And I'm just like, I don't know, I think one of the things that I've really realized over the last few years is my definition of what my career is and what my impact is has really expanded beyond my day job which is why mm -hmm. i have my podcast those types of mm -hmm. well it's funny you brought up the mergers and acquisitions and how like people view it as like oh it's just such a corporate this and that and because i'm in private equity where we kind of do that not exactly a merger but we do acquire mm -hmm. and one of the reasons i love it is because there's i think we have 30 different like sectors like everything from restoring vision to the blind to DOD, like Department of Defense stuff. Um, so it's like two to, you know, agriculture drones and <laughs> just all these different like areas. And the fact that I can like even see that stuff, I go, oh, this is awesome. There's always something new here. And that's why I personally like it. Yeah. And you also feel like you're getting to make someone else's dreams come true and you're helping. And that's why I really enjoyed it the moment that I fell into it. And yeah, I, I feel like the corporate world gets like a bad rap. And this is a conversation that I've talked to a lot of friends about where they're like, business is this like big, really shitty thing. It's ruining the world yeah. and stuff. And I, I will, you know what? I will admit that in its current manifestation, I'm not sure I disagree with them. But my thing mm -hmm. is, if you get good leaders into the right positions that aren't simply focused on profit, or mm -hmm. at least they have boundaries around what they're trying to what they're willing to do for profit. Yeah, it's like I draw a line in the sand. Yeah. We'll like go for the, profit, but we're not doing that. Stop it. Right. Yeah. Right. So one one line that we've drawn in the past is around like child labor, right? Mm -hmm. And so 
I, I think like we need to continue, we have to continue drawing those. Uh, mm-hmm. But eventually business becomes this tool that you can for positive change. And this is actually one of the reasons why I feel like the government is just really inefficient and falling behind because like there, there was, I think Kraft, one of the CEOs for Kraft, they said, you know what, we tried to like reduce prices on healthy food, something they tried some sort of experiment where they're trying to put healthier food. Mm-hmm. And they were just getting slaughtered by the competition because there's no boundaries, right? Like they can continue yeah. price cutting and all these things. And so if government draws the boundaries for technology companies in terms of what privacy is allowed, mm-hmm. like a lot of these businesses are willing to do make concessions, like put out healthier food, give mm-hmm. customers more privacy. It's just that in the current market, yeah, it's like boundaries that they exist, they can't compete. We can't like tie one arm behind our backs and because yeah. you do have a responsibility to the shareholders. Like that's one thing that happened, I think in the eighties, because I did some research on this and I always find it interesting. It's kind of sick what happened, at least in my opinion, basically CEOs used to see themselves as like uh, shepherds for like their employees, you know, like you got to take care of your employees, this and that. And what happened was uh, basically a lot of these like investment banks would like go in and they go, Oh, if we make this small change by like giving them a shittier healthcare plan, we can gain 10%, which will send the stock up like 15 or something like that, because it'll be, and so they'd, they'd invest enough so that they could bring about these changes, you know, get on a board, fire the CEO mm-hmm. and make their changes. And then they'd make a boatload and to stay literally competitive CEOs now have to basically do that, or someone will come in and take over, kick them out. And it's, so they have to, that's one thing that's not understood by a lot of people. It's not like, yeah, there are some bad people, there's bad people in every job, but not every CEO is like keeping payload just to (laughs) screw the workers. They're doing it because if they don't, they're going to get kicked out. Someone else will. And so I do, I do see like basically an unsustainable cycle in that, to be honest with you. And that's also why like small to medium sized businesses like pre IPO are so much better to work at. Like if you ever see like these startups and stuff like that, it, it's like, oh, it's great to work there. Well, it's because it's all private equity. You know, it's not public. And on average, they have better health care. They take better care of their workers. And you, it's been proven that by doing that, in some cases, you can actually deliver more value. But at the same time, humans are lazy. And it's a lot easier to do the easy thing and just go, oh, we're going to take the shitty health plan, except for me, because I'm CEO. I got to lead. And we're going to deliver more to the shareholders. But when your employees can't buy into the shares, like most companies used to be owned by their employees, that's how things were done back then. Mm -hmm. And that got really screwed up with Enron. But that's now changed where people are like, look, I'm trying to make rent. And you want me to buy like NVIDIA, I think it was like $800 before they split. Like, how do you afford that when you're trying to make rent? (laughs) You know, it is. Yeah, I think people have lost nuance in a lot of different realms, right? But this is one, I think, where people are just very one side or the other, like business is bad or business is good. And I think they're- It's gray, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It just, I think you have to see it as gray because then you know what needs to change to to bring it to the right spot, right? And so like when I'm with my classmates, I do want to bring up these ethical issues. I think we do need, that's like a class that um, needs to be in every MBA program, needs to be- in every mm-hmm. corporate training is like ethics and, and morals because we could go down this whole rabbit hole, but oh, I, yeah. you know, like, no, I get what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you have to do anything. Like ultimately the world is a very massive place. Evolving well, itself. Yeah. Not just that, but I, I would say like, 
Hey everybody, thank you for listening. Due to editing, we're going to be breaking this interview up into a few segments. So if you enjoyed listening, please stay tuned and have a great day. Bye-bye.